Welcome to The Playlist Podcast, a weekly discussion of films and TV. I'm your host, Charles Barfield, Managing Editor of The Playlist, and this week, as always, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Mike D'Angelo and Brian Farver. Are you guys ready to talk about pig farming and Chinese real estate? <laughs> you make it sound so exciting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to be a gas. edge of his seat. Yeah. Yes, uh, a real hoot. <laughs> this week we're discussing Dead Pigs, which is an acclaimed film that premiered all the way back in Sundance 2018 from writer-director Kathy Yan and is finally coming to the movie streaming platform on February 12th. In addition to us discussing the film and a little bit about streaming as it stands now, we're going to end this episode with an interview with Yan as she talks about the three-year journey of bringing Dead Pigs to the U.S., a little bit about Birds of Prey, which is our follow-up film that actually arrived in theaters a year before Dead Pigs. Yes, it's confusing. And much more. But before we talk about Dead Pigs, we've got to tell you that the Playlist Podcast is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes the Discourse, Be Real, The Fourth Wall, and more. And if you want to find us, you can check your podcast app of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, anywhere else you find your favorite shows. Okay, gentlemen, let's talk about 16,000 dead pigs in a river. You ready? (laughs) Okay, so as the title alludes, Dead Pigs is, in fact, about a large number of dead pigs that are found floating in a river in Shanghai, China. But that's just really the springboard into a world where a pig farmer is somehow connected to a beauty store owner and they're somehow connected to a young rich girl. And along the way, there's like VR and karaoke. It, it's wild. So, Brian, what did you think of Dead Pigs? Well, I mean, the comparison I would draw here would be to Magnolia. And there's other films that have that sort of interconnected, you know, nature to them. I crash, I guess is one of them. Yuck. Yuck is (laughs) absolutely correct. But let's stick with Magnolia. That said, yes, I I enjoy Magnolia and using that as kind of an example. I I enjoyed that aspect of this film as well. It's very interesting. uh, A satire, very much a unusual commentary on, you know, China in the modern day. I, I did enjoy it. I mean, there's really good performances all across the board. Yeah, I mean, the the characters, I would say they feel very, very real. You know, this being, you know, definitely having a comedic vibe to it, it'd be very easy to go into, like uh, like a, maybe a caricature sort of way of looking at it. But no, they all these characters in this movie feel very genuine, which I was very thankful for. It would have been very easy to go in that route. So in that sense, yeah. This was, you know, you can tell there's a lot of heart, <laughs> a, a lot of heart and soul that went into this one. So, yeah, I liked it. Great. Mike, what do you think? It is certainly more fun than watching 16,000 dead pigs float down a river. Um... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I will clarify. <laughs> the movie literally is about that, but it's, it's, that's <laughs> but really, it's not really such about. a minor part of the movie. It's, it's just funny because, you know, throughout the movie, there's an update on the number of dead pigs in the river and it, it gets kind of comical, but it's important to know that like that literally happened. So, yeah. Yes, it did. It, it is based on true events and mm-hmm. it is thoroughly entertaining and don't be fooled by like the IMDB credits. Zazie Beetz, while she is in the movie, she's in, a, you know, maybe 30 seconds worth. Yeah. Um, so don't think she's the lead or anything. This is very much a, basically a, a Chinese led film. And and there's something that's really interesting about that in that as an American, I don't have a lot of access or haven't really gone down the rabbit hole of Chinese cinema. So seeing China just in general is kind of fascinating to me. And Shanghai in and of itself is also kind of its own fascinating little wormhole to go down. And 
you know, putting it through the lens of of this like satiristic take on you know modernization at all costs. It's really interesting what Kathy in is able to kind of bring out of it. So I I, I thought it was really entertaining. I, like Brian said, all the, the the cast all did very very well. I don't know that I would necessarily pick a standout. I'm trying to think. Maybe How You Yang for me was probably the most interesting performance. But really, everybody had their moment to to kind of shine with their interconnected kind of stories. And it wasn't interconnected in a, a kind of eye rolly way where by the end you're like, this is how they're all connected. And <laughs> yeah. Isn't that a bit convenient? <laughs> that is yeah. the concern, right? When you watch one of these movies, you're like, is it going to be like some like major, like, I don't know, like a terrorist attack that's going to bring them all together. It's, you know, something like, you know, happenstance, but no, it's, it, it they are interconnected in a it logical completely way. completely makes sense. Yeah. Yes. It, it is very organic in the way that they all come together or are related to one another in, in literal fashions and non-literal fashions. So yeah, I thought it was pretty good. And it was, it was a very interesting conversation with Kathy just to kind of go down the, the rabbit hole of it. So I, I give it a thumbs up. If you, I don't, I honestly do not have movie but I'd be really interested to track it down just, just to see what else they have now that I know that stuff like this is on there. It's yes. like you're teasing what I have in the future of this discussion. So <laughs> hold that thought. Yeah, um, yeah so I, I really enjoyed this movie, too. To be completely honest, uh, back in 2018 when this premiered at Sundance, we knew about it because it, it ended up winning like one of the uh, I think it won like the special jury prize at Sundance. And, you know, there's a lot of acclaim coming from uh, from Sundance. And then the film just kind of disappeared. It didn't get that immediate distribution and kind of just, you know, shortly thereafter, Kathy Ann went on to do Birds of Prey. And that kind of was the discussion, you know. So when this movie uh, when we had the opportunity to check this movie out and to to speak with her. There's no trailer for it, I don't believe. Maybe there is. I didn't watch trailer. I didn't see clips. I, I didn't even really read the IMDb like summary or anything. I kind of went in cold. And it is uh, probably best enjoyed that way, I think, because you really don't know what's happening. It's it's one of those where you, you see these uh, seemingly disparate stories all come together. And it's a lot of fun. The characters are really great. And like Brian said, um, because there are moments of, of kind of like laugh out loud humor, there is the chance that some of these could have all gone to caricature, but none of them do. In fact, just when you think like they're getting too wild, there's like some sort of like super heart wrenching or, or emotional moment where you just see these characters like in a whole new way. And, and that's really great. And I'll tell you what, it's interesting because this was her first movie, but for me, it was her second movie because I saw Birds of Prey first. Seeing <laughs> yeah, Birds of Prey. Much everybody, yeah. I know, I know. Seeing Birds of Prey and then Dead Pigs, it's like, it's clear that Kathy Yan has a lot more up her sleeve than what you saw in Birds of Prey, which we all like Birds of Prey, I think. Yes. And it's it's to me, it's one of the, the better superhero movies of the last five years. But this is like whole nother level sort of like, almost autoristic sort of uh, stuff, which is, is great to see. And, you know, I wish I had this sort of context when I saw Birds of Prey, but uh, I'm glad I got to see Dead Pigs so that I'm super excited to see what she does in the future. Another good one is uh, Mason Lee does a really good job. Well, um, so hold that thought, Brian. Okay. <laughs> because I was about to say, this okay. is a film that's built by characters, right? Okay. And there's no real through line in the story. Each of the characters kind of has their own complete arc that, okay. that kind of plays out. Yep, yep. So with that <laughs> said, 
Brian, is there a character, a story, an actor, or somebody that stands out above the rest and really steals the show? Yeah, I uh, let me think here. Oh, that would be, that'd be Mason Lee. Uh, okay. Cool. <laughs> and you explain just, who Mason Lee is in context of the movie. He is the son. Uh, his name is Wang, the old Wang. Who was that? The one you mentioned, Mike? Is you? Yeah. You, How you Yang? How you Yang? Yes. So he's really good, and um, I, I believe it. If I'm remembering this correctly, he's the son of Ang Lee. If I remember correctly, but is he really? I think so. Is he really? I believe so. Uh, th- but the thing is, I saw him and I recognized him as being in The Hangover 2, which yes. I think is the only other film I've seen him in. To be honest, he I is the of... son of Ang Lee. Yeah. Yes. Wow. You it's learn okay. something new every day, guys. He's also uh, in a movie called Who Killed Cock Robin. So wait, now and I lose that. Oh, <laughs> get the old filmography up here. Um, let's see. Oh, he has been in. Oh, he has been in some Legend of the Demon Cat. Huh. Okay. Um, <laughs> that is anyway. the one that jumps out to Brian. <laughs> yes. Anyway, back to Mason Lee because we're, we're poking fun because we got on derail with the Ang Lee thing, but he is yeah. really great. So he is. He is really great. And again, like I, he was just one of those actors that I just hadn't seen in a while, kind of forgotten about. But then seeing him in this. He is really good, but, you know, but to, again, go back to what Mike was saying, there is no, no one that really jumps out in front of the pack in a big way. I picked Mason Lee just because I didn't genuinely enjoy his performance, but at the same time, this is an ensemble film, you know, take that for what it's worth. I, I, I saw this as just a film where everybody just compliments each other really well across all the different plot lines so yeah just like with magnolia hard to pick a stand out there too i don't know but i did like mason lee okay mike i you mentioned how you yang so are you sticking with him yeah definitely and i'm just now seeing that he was born in 74 and he's playing someone that is clearly older than that but wow okay. <laughs> either way uh he he just had a lot of really like he, he his performance really tugged at you as far as, you know, you empathize with him a lot and kind of the hardships that he goes through and, you know, how he, his relationship to his son, his relationship to his sister. So he's kind of like the, the linchpin between a lot of characters. He is the Um, pig farmer. Yes. He's the literal pig farmer that throws his uh, pigs in the river. So yeah, I, I think that's, that's the guy for me. And now that we've kind of talked it out, it makes total sense that he's kind of the center of it. He really is. And 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 for me as well, I think how Yu Yang kind of steals the show because peeling back the curtain a little bit, when I was watching this movie, I was trying to watch it from Vimeo. It's a long thing, but I couldn't get the subtitles to work. And for the life of me, I watched that opening scene with him doing VR probably five times <laughs> and trying to get the stupid subtitles to work. I finally did. But watching it like five times, it's such a fun scene. And it just made me like just immediately love this guy. And he's uh, he's always wearing kind of his little winter hat and he's riding his his motorbike. And, you know, he's he's so obsessed with just being the coolest guy. You know, this is a little pig farmer. And he's such a good dude at the end. You know, He's such a good character. I just, I, I really fell in love with him. But I will say, uh, Mason Lee probably would have been my number two, believe it or not. I think he is kind of the the heart. He doesn't really like go for the comedy really at all in this movie. He's kind of the straight man. And 
he's just really sweet and caring and yeah really really good i would also like to say that vivian wu as candy wang is unbelievable because (laughs) she has such a, a charismatic way about her that she'll she has a line in there that says uh oh shoot i should have written this down she said uh there are no ugly women just lazy women <laughs> yeah i think is is the is the verbatim quote and she says it a couple times and every time she said it it just made me howl laughing i just thought it was the funniest thing ever and uh yeah and, and so for yeah, brian's but, sake i will just say while we're speaking of vivian Wu, this is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3's Mitsu that we're talking ah, about here. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. We're playing Six Degrees of Separation from <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 to Kathy Yan's and, um, and just to round it out so that we can talk about everybody, there's David Reisdahl who plays this guy named Sean, who's actually an American guy kind of stuck in this craziness. And he's got his own interesting kind of reason why he's there and, and, and how he plays into this whole pig farmer thing. And then there's uh, Meng Li. She's great. And she has also uh, an interesting role because, you know, she's kind of unlikable at the beginning. And then, you know, she kind of softens a little bit and it's great. So, yeah, great acting. For me, it's Hao Yu Yang, uh, Mason Lee. They're, they're incredible. So, as mentioned, this film's coming to MUBI, M-U-B-I, streaming service. It might be a streaming service that not a lot of people are familiar with. It's in the world filled with what, like, I think last count there's about 450 streaming services. <laughs> um, uh, this not is far off. Yeah, I know, right? I'm exaggerating, but now that I think about it, it sounds about accurate. Movie is uh, one of those that doesn't it doesn't have like the Disney Plus cachet yet, and that's a shame because this is a streaming service that really is chock full of some really great films from all over the world. Uh, they specialize in like indie and auteur and international movies. It's it's really good stuff. And all that to say. It's a movies a service that you probably would really be interested in if you're listening to this podcast. So you should check it out. And that leads me to my question for you guys, which is about streaming in, in general. Streaming is so ubiquitous nowadays. It's allowing movies like Dead Pigs to finally get released. And there are just so, so, so many services. So we all know that everybody has Netflix, Amazon, and Disney Plus, right? So far, uh, yeah. in, in in the spirit of movie. Outside of those big three, what's the streaming service that you think is a must have? We'll start with Mike. I mean, it's got to be IMDb TV, right, guys? Um, <laughs> no, you there's joke. There's only one you right joke. answer. Or yes. crackle. Wait, wait, wait. wait. <laughs> you joke about IMDb TV, and I'll have you know, they just announced Lords of Dogtown, the TV show. Oh, really? I am all in on that. So, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give it a peek. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, it may go the, the way of YouTube TV, so we'll see what happens there. I have YouTube TV. You meant YouTube, was it Red? Yeah, YouTube. Yes. Red, my yep. 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 Or Quibi. Quibi is the we can kick it while it's down. That's true. <laughs> okay. As we should. Uh, but if I really had to pick a true like service that you know outside of the big three that you mentioned there, that I would say is like the one that you have to get is it's HBO Max for me, just because uh, the film library is super deep. I'm a big comic book nerd, so the DC material isn't bad to have. Uh, it's a it's kind of a nice to have to be honest, but uh, and especially the animated has, movies. Yep, animated movies and just uh, as far as originals go, it's not the bench isn't too deep. But then again, it's HBO and it has a deep deep bench of HBO material. So 
it's just yeah it's a well-rounded streaming service that was just like hbo go on on steroids so i think it's it's fairly solid and now with the whole like in theater and on hbo max day and date thing it's it's pretty uh pretty far up there for me wait what's this you're talking about i don't think i heard that (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh okay hbo max and it's what i think it's like what $35 a month or something ridiculous right? <laughs> no I think it's like 15 still an expensive service Brian it is pricey Netflix Amazon Disney we all have them what's your uh what's your next go-to well I would honestly say HBO Max you can't if if, if I can't no. um I can't adjust you know like I, I don't have it so I can't say that does QuickTime have a streaming service <laughs> QuickTime still around it's uh yes it, it does exist good old QuickTime um <laughs> those are mov files if wasn't that right AVI? Right, was, wasn't that the best way to watch trailers it was on QuickTime? Oh, i loved it, it. so good cool. for those for those gen zers out there that you know are just oh. so spoiled with their smartphones and their who's it's and what's it's oh. there's Back in the day, to watch trailers, the best place to get trailers was on Apple's website. Do you guys remember this? Yes, Yes. I remember this. You would go to Apple's website, and you would see all the cool trailers, because they would have them in QuickTime, and they'd be like the highest quality. But yeah. Yeah. In my day. I know. Yeah. Get off my lawn, kids. (laughs) In all seriousness, um, and again, this is just because I have it, it's a distant fourth, but there are some redeeming qualities about it. It's Hulu. And I say Hulu because, I mean, there are, it's, it's definitely got a nice balance of of good and i'll also say bizarre (laughs) amazon (laughs) would be a really good comparison to that because you can find some really strange stuff on there in a good way amazon's Uh, bench goes deep right like you if you want to go down some wormholes on amazon prime video you can find like documentaries from like 20 years ago about alien abductions that feel like they were made in some dude's basement like it's (laughs) nuts what you can find on amazon prime There's movies about like people shopping in supermarkets and uh, like old like intermission reels from drive-in movies that that are like hours long. It's amazing. Yeah, nuts. It's nuts. But anyways, uh Hulu, that's where I saw Palm Springs. What yes. a great movie. Castle Rock. I I took me a little while, but I did get into that. They, Shout out you to know, the great if you haven't seen it. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um uh, th- when that's a good example actually of a streaming service where when it's good, it's great. And uh, it's the great. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And again, this may change when, and yes, the keyword is when I get HBO Max. But right now at this moment, I'm going to say Hulu. How are you? Su- uh, no, I haven't. Yeah. How are you surviving without HBO Max? I, I don't know. Because, well, like you just said, there's there's so much yeah, stuff on the other ones. Amazon. E- I could spend a very long time talking about Amazon Prime. God, there's some good stuff on there. We should, there we really should do is. a full episode where we all three independently go find the weirdest movie we can on Amazon Prime Video and I just talk about that. it for an hour. We'll do oh. it. I promise you. So I would agree that Hulu's great. Hulu, especially because they, uh, after the Disney purchase, now they're like linked in with FX. So just like HBO Max has all the HBO stuff, FX is all on Hulu. So you can get all that good stuff. True. And and stuff like devs and um, Mrs. Devs. America and all these things that are like exclusive, which is great too. Yeah. But um. So yeah, Hulu's great too. HBO Max. I joke about the price, but I feel like it's almost one of those like you must have sort of things, as it, which makes it like four or five must haves, which is ridiculous. But what have you? <laughs> For me though, 
Uh, movie is great, by the way. Shout out to Movie. Uh, you should definitely check it out because they really curate the selections. So while you're not going to find like a 14-hour documentary about grocery shopping, you are going to find some <laughs> really good, guaranteed good stuff. So so definitely check it out. And it's a reasonably priced, which is nice. And on that note, we talk about curated, reasonably priced. I'm going to have to say Shudder. I'm a late convert to the Shudder universe. I love uh, genre movies. I love horror movies. And Shudder, while it's not the deepest uh, library, just everything on there is worth a shot. And talk about like a good 2020 as far as originals go. Shudder has movies like Host, um, which I keep raving about. I love it so much. And recently bought on VHS. I did. I splurged did. and bought Host on VHS. <laughs> Again, I'll say it to the listening audience. I had to have a movie that was filmed on Zoom that I could watch on an antiquated VHS. Come on. That's just the irony there. It's hilarious. It doesn't anyway, make sense. It doesn't. It's ludicrous. <laughs> that said, Shudder's great. And it, I think it's like 6 or $7 a month. It's it's so worth it, especially if you're into genre movies and stuff like that. But I want to shout out a few more um, because there are just endless. We talked about Hulu, HBO Max. If you're talking like that sort of level stuff, there's also Peacock, which do you guys have Peacock? Be honest. I, I did. I streamed. Obviously, because we talked about this at length off off mic, but Saved by the Bell, the new yeah. series, is actually good, and I will I will go down to the 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 dirt for that one. Okay. And uh, recently renewed for a season two, by the way. Yeah. Um, and I I actually went down the Yellowstone hole <laughs> after all of. Oh yeah. Uh, apparently, is that on it's one of the biggest shows. It's on Peacock, and it's oh. actually very very good. I love Taylor, Taylor Sheridan. Sheridan. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Brian, you got peacock. Are you peacocking? As the kids no, say, no. I well, and I did hear I, a peacocking. Yes, um, <laughs> I I did hear not just from Mike but from several that stay by the bell is super fun. Is is Screech going to be in season two? Whoa, you know, whoa, whoa dude, right, Screech. <laughs> so no, no, he no he. I don't even. They have not filmed it, so yeah. I'm going to say no. Oh, <laughs> Wisconsin's okay. well, own maybe season Screech. three. Okay. Oh, oh Jesus Christ! Oh Jesus! <laughs> anyway, let's get off anyway. of Peacock and Saved by the Bell. Um, <laughs> the, the the next level of of streamers, because I'm gonna go down this this rabbit hole here. You have the pluses, as I call it, the plus gang. You have Paramount Plus, uh, formerly CBS All Access. Uh, you have Discovery Plus. I don't even know. Paramount Plus, I think, is launching next month, but right now it's huh? CBS All Access. Okay. You have Discovery Plus where you find like 90 day fiance, you have Apple TV plus, which you probably have for free if you have an iPhone and uh, you have ESPN plus. So, and I'm sure there are more pluses. Any of those stand out to you guys interested in any of those? Hmm. Yep. Yeah, that about I says mean, it. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, really quick. Isn't there another Disney oh, plus? AMC plus too? Sorry. AMC, AMC plus. AMC plus. I am a fan I am a fan of a lot of Apple TV Plus stuff now that I've started yes. to kind of dig through it. And, and I know they kind of got ragged on for not having, you know, a lot of content or original content. But the stuff I'm finding has been well worth it. So uh, shout out to Ted Lasso, even though it's been getting a bunch of buzz and, and awards consideration. It's it's very, very good. Oh, yeah. Dude, I just started that. Ted Lasso's good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. But yeah, uh, what were you saying, Brian, about Disney Plus? No, wasn't. What isn't there a Disney Plus like 
adult or something that's coming no. out. No, what Star? Is Star, Star, that's it. Star, that's for international folks that don't have Disney+. Plus. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I believe. Um, yeah, and then, of course, there are more streamers. We're not done yet. There's Movie, which we talk about at length. There's Shutter, which I mentioned. Then you have Criterion Channel, which everybody listening to this podcast, go out and check Criterion Channel. It's incredible. There's Crunchyroll, if you're like into anime. And Tubi, which is a free one, which has, you want to talk about some cult classic movies? Venture down the Tubi rabbit hole. You'll find some weird stuff. It's ad-supported, and I think it's free. So, yeah. Any any streaming services that you guys have that we haven't mentioned? Uh, I think you about covered all the goods. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. hit all the big ones. Yeah. The moral of the story is Brian needs to get HBO Max, and we all need yeah. to subscribe to Movie. So, and everybody listening, so you can watch Dead Pigs. Because it's awesome. Amen. Amen. Going back to Dead Pigs and Kathy Yan for a minute. Any last thoughts on the movie? Just tell everybody to go watch it, basically, or what? Again, for a guy that has very little access to Chinese culture, it, it was a fascinating watch for me. So uh, if for nothing else, to just kind of immerse yourself in Shanghai is really kind of fun. And even just kind of like the quirkiness of it at times, like it, it gets really like... Uh, you know, deep and sad and complex at times, but there's some really fun little bits that have add a lot of quirky character to the movie. And it's it, overall, it's, it's definitely worth a watch. I like it a lot. All right, Brian, any last thoughts about dead pigs? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's cool it, to see this film, see the light of day to kind of see it now and see what would in a way pave the way for birds of prey. Because I also love Birds of Prey, definitely in my top ten for last year, and uh, yeah, I mean, and that's that said, it is a a different film than Birds of Prey, but still, still worth a watch. Great, and and both of you guys should subscribe to Movie so that you can see more Chinese cinema and more yes. cinema from around the world. Um, yeah, apparently your... they just threw Martin Eden up on there, so shout out to that as well. Oh I yeah, the, uh, the, one of the best movies of 2020 that uh, isn't getting nearly the awards consideration or, or major awards consideration it probably deserves. So yeah, Martin Eaton. So now we're going to go to our interview with Kathy Yan, where she talks more dead pigs, probably a lot more eloquently than we do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just FYI, she's a very smart lady. And yeah, so we talk dead pigs, birds of prey, a little bit about journalism, the goods. Also, I want to say that unfortunately, during the recording of our interview with Kathy Yan, Zoom crapped out a bit and my microphone sounded terrible. So unfortunately, the audio is a little bit janky and we're sorry about that, but uh, it shouldn't affect the interview too much. It's just I sound like I'm in a completely different world than everybody else. So bear with us on that. You know, the Zoom of it all. What can you do? Anyway, keep listening. Enjoy the interview. Thanks. like to welcome writer-director Kathy Yan to the Playlist Podcast. How exciting is it to finally talk about dead pigs after all these years? So exciting, very exciting. It's nice that it's finally going out to the world and um, it's nice to be able to point people to a place to look at it, you know, instead of a Vimeo link. <laughs> yeah, right? So we, I guess to, to give that context, I'll, I'll just quickly run through this. Dead Pigs debuted almost three years ago, exactly. Uh, yeah. Back at Sundance, won an award, was getting rave reviews it was everybody seemed to love it and then you got signed on to birds of prey right away <laughs> you're like man this is great and then suddenly uh dead pigs didn't ever get the u.s distribution or i know it got distributed in china 
about mm-hmm. a year later. But you know, for the last three years, it's just kind of been this movie where, again, you were like pointing to nothing, saying, "Hey, I do have this movie. I swear." And so now it's coming to streaming, which is exciting. So what's that journey been like the last three years, from the high of like debuting at Sundance to to 2021 now finally getting to release it? Well, a lot has happened um, in yeah. both, you know, both in the world, I think within the industry itself and personally for me as well. Um, and yeah, absolutely, it was a high. And um, I think that when it was first in, at Sundance, it was slightly a different set of circumstances. I think there just wasn't as many distributors um, that wanted to take that kind of risk or knew what to do with this film because it does sort of cross a lot of different genres and tone. And um, I, I, you know, there are people who take who take it completely at face value very seriously. Others who really, you know, find it very, very funny. And so, and also of course the foreign language element of it too. So I think it was difficult, um, you know, it was difficult to find a distributor that really wanted to take that chance. And then obviously Birds of Prey happened. And then I just really wanted to focus on Birds of Prey as well, because I knew if we were going to do this, I wanted to do press. I wanted to make sure that it got out there the way that, um, the best way that it can. And so it's kind of just taken until now to do it. Um, And it's been definitely a journey. I think that in many ways I have evolved as a filmmaker. So it's funny to kind of revisit something that I did four years ago at this point. But at the same time, thankfully I am not at all embarrassed by it. (laughs) I'm still still quite happy with it. And um, it feels like such a pure version of what um, my instincts are as a filmmaker and what I'm drawn to. And it feels in many ways, I think thematically, almost more prescient. And one of the themes that that I wanted to, that I was exploring in the film itself was the interconnectedness of individuals. Um, you know, that like a, a pig farmer can dump a pig in the river one day and 16,000 of them can end up, <laughs> you know, downstream a few days later. And that, and the ways that all of those, um, the cause and effect of our actions on others. And that was something that I explored in the film. And is certainly something that I think we can all really understand right now very true yeah and i know it's based kind of loosely on events that happened back in what 2013 something like that so what about that incident kind of made you say okay this is my first movie what about you know pigs going into a river kind of turned into (laughs) like this this drama about all these interwoven stories and was it always kind of this critique uh, a culture that encourages you know, modernization at all costs, uh, or did it start out as something kind of different? It pretty much was that, I think. I mean, maybe it's my odd sense of humor, um, but (laughs) I immediately heard about or read about this incident and and did think that it would make for a really good um, movie. Um, (laughs) I think that just the odd phenomenon of that, um, and I had you know, China is a place very close to my heart. I was born there and then I grew up in the US but would go back often and would, and also spent some time there as a journalist as well. And so I think I it, it had just been in my mind that I wanted to, um, I felt like I had an interesting perspective on the country and my time there and a very specific time um, or moment in time in that country's growth. And it just felt right to do, um, to, to make a pretty personal film actually about um, 
that time. And then I read about the incident and immediately thought, one, wow, that's actually very visually arresting and cinematic. Um, I didn't think about how difficult it would be to actually pull it off. (laughs) (laughs) And I felt like I wanted to also peel back again, I guess as a journalist, you sort of get to write the headline and then a little bit about the story, but to really peel back the layers on um, on these headlines of like, well, how did this happen? Why did this happen? What did it feel like for a pig farmer to um, have to uh, to lose their livelihood? And then what drove them to be so desperate as to dump their pigs in the river? And then that kind of resulted in exploring other characters and this idea of interconnectedness. And I do think that like thematically this, as you were saying, this sort of critique I, I think it's both a celebration of, of, of humans and the human spirits and the face of all this change, but definitely a critique and definitely um, at least a conversation starter, I would say, about the repercussions of such massive change and, as you said, sort of modernization at all costs. And I, and I think that's actually something that is deeply relevant now for Americans as well. And, and if one thing that has really been, um, I guess, interesting in the last four years since I made the movie is how deeply relevant it feels more so than ever to, I think, American audiences and to what we're experiencing in this country and and in many countries around the world. Kind of piggybacking, uh, piggy, I I just got, I just realized, (laughs) very funny. Anyways. We're off the rails, but uh, you know, first time filmmaker, there's a lot of pressure, you know, especially on a stage like Sundance, kind of going off of what you were just saying, was there any concern while you were writing this movie that your first film was gonna be this foreign language film set in a country and and a culture that a lot of people in the West just aren't all that familiar with? Definitely, yeah. Um, but I also felt like, you know, I came, I, I came out of NYU, I feel like there's been enough done on the sort of, you know, existential crises of 20 something year olds in Brooklyn as well, right? And it it felt like to me that this was a topic that I was deeply interested in and was a huge topic at that. Um, And I think our world is only becoming more interconnected. And again, we, I think have seen firsthand how a crazy incident in China can (laughs) deeply affect our lives here as long as it happens. And as a sort of citizen of the world that has always sort of bounced between the two, it just felt right to me to, I, I, was, I was trying not to think about the risks of it as opposed to, you know, just that this felt like a story that I could tell and a story that I wanted to tell. Um, and one that, you know, is relatively um, unique to my voice as opposed to, you know, something that I could do, but I'm not even sure that I could do it in any way that is distinct from any other filmmaker too. Yeah, like a one young woman working in a convenience store, you know, right <laughs> next to a video store sort of thing. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there definitely is an authenticity to it. But like you were saying, I mean, it's it's eye-opening for those who really aren't familiar with Chinese culture. I was really fascinated by it and like the weight they put on like money and, and different things like that. But one of the things that stood out for me was this like nerdy white American dude being recruited to be this fake celebrity like and promote Western culture, almost like propaganda in the movie. And, and it's just so strange, but uh, it is, is something like that. That's that strangeness. Is that what you felt, you know, it, you had to showcase that element of it? Yeah. I mean, this is a country that has all of that stuff and, mm-hmm. um, but- you know, a lot, all almost everything is based on some form of 
true event or um, real life phenomenon. And that's definitely one of them. Um, there is this weird fascination, I think, with the West and you know, and white culture that has a lot to do with, I think, Hollywood and and um, the sort of global cultural dominance of America. And and you see that play out in China. And I was just deeply fascinated by a character that, like, you know, again, questioning, like, how did he get to China? What made him, in a way, so desperate as to move to another country where he doesn't know the language and has no friends and no family, but thinks the opportunity there is so great that he can't refuse? And of which I know many of those people, um, a lot of expats that moved to China, especially like in the early 2000s, that had that kind of um, ambition. But then at the same time, when they get there, like maybe not feeling like, you know, the big man on campus at all. Uh, you know, back home and then kind of getting exalted in a way, but getting exalted in a way that felt kind of tokenized and awkward and way more because of what he could represent or what he looked like as opposed to what he's good at, um, which I can also relate to. And so <laughs> I think, I, you know, I think that all of those things played um, played into that character for me um, of just what the, what the psychology of someone is like and the weird phenomenon of exactly that, which is, you know, typically white men getting paid to um, pretend to be other white men. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're recruited by Zazie Beats, I mean, oh my gosh. say yes. What a surprise. I, I knew that she was in the movie from, you know, talking about it for years since it's Sundance thing. But when I saw her on screen, I was like, oh my God, that's right. She's in it. <laughs> what a surprise. Um, yeah, so, so as, yeah, as we know, uh, as we've talked about quite a bit, Dead Pigs kind of flew under the radar after its premiere at Sundance, right? whether it was you taking over to prayer or wanting to whatever, you know, find a place for it. Uh, yeah. Now, now it's coming to streaming and a lot of talk about streaming lately. Mm -hmm. So is this, is dead pigs kind of like the poster child for like why we should be like applauding streamers? Like, right. This is a movie that, that you said was going to struggle finding a distributor. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that dead pigs was this weird new, like, child that wasn't fully like the international art house film but was also not exactly like a traditional Sundance indie and you know the fact that we were at Sundance as opposed to even like a Berlin or Cannes I think said something because I think you know in my mind I've always like the two big influences on Dead Pigs is the cinema of like a um, Wong Kar Wai or Chen Kaige or Zhang Yimou from like the 90s like classics or Chinese cinema um, but then also like Altman and Paul Thomas Anderson and that sort of quirky tone um, from those filmmakers that I love. And so I think tonally it's like an American indie, but it's also distinct. And then it's shot sort of, and the, the subject matter may be a little bit more um, a, like a Chinese art house thing. And so I think it was just like a weird film that didn't really fit into a, a very specific box. And so like, you know, not having it sort of fit in that box did make it difficult when the options we're basically like, is this going to go that sort of foreign language art house route, um, right, and get the traditional limited theatrical run and, and that sort of that, or is it like an American indie, but it's not an American indie. So I think that's also part of the reason that it really had a tough time finding the right distribution. And I think like so much has changed in the industry. I think also the fact that like the phenomenal success of something like Parasites and winning best picture, not even best foreign language film, but best picture. I think it's just, it just shows how borderless um, it should be. And I think in that way too, given the pandemic and the fact that no one's going to theaters, it actually became this really good opportunity to, um, to, to, you know, to, 
share dead pigs with the world and allow pretty much anyone who's interested um, to access it and access it in their own home and access it without, um, I think, some of the traditional barriers to entry that would be, you know, given to a movie like this. Yeah, I always get reminded about what uh, Bong Joon-ho said at one of his acceptance speeches. I don't know if it was the Oscar or the Golden Globe, but he's like, you know, once you overcome that one-inch barrier of the subtitles, like, you're open up to this world. And I think streaming is really doing that pretty well. And a movie like Dead Pigs Now can be kind of a, a, a thing that's enjoyed and uh, respected as it should be. Totally, yeah, absolutely. I love that quote. I love that quote. And I also just think that, like, you know, we're going to see more and more international films where it's tougher to really understand what the nationality of the movie is in and of itself, like, because there's multiple languages or because the filmmaker is a little more international or, you know, you have a different cast. And I think that's really exciting um, for, for cinema. Yeah. And I'm, I'm honestly, like, the way streamers have acted lately, it's just kind of leveled the playing field. It allows you to dabble, like, all over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we recently talked about White Tiger and all these different movies and, and Another yeah. Round was one of my favorites this year. I'm hoping it gets a, a Best Picture nom. I love but that. Yeah, yeah, it really it really makes really makes it uh, a level playing field for everybody. Mm-hmm. And it also, I think, opens up like this idea of like the prestige art house. Like I think if you're talking foreign language, you typically put that in that bucket, right? The prestige art house film, it goes to certain film festivals and then it, it goes to certain art house cinemas and it's talked among, about amongst a certain society of people. And I actually think the democratization of that um, is great too. So it's like, you don't have to ascribe to all of the you know elements of that culture in order to just enjoy a movie in a different language. You don't have to be like part of the film Twitter mafia or anything like that. Right. I mean, you also don't have to. So we wouldn't be proper uh, man nerds if we didn't bring up the DC superhero universe of it all. So uh, like back last year, you retweeted David Ayer about issues, you know, he was having with the studio changing the edit of Suicide Squad and, you know, expressed sympathy and said, you know, I'm sorry this happened to you, David. I know the pain. So, I mean, this immediately kind of like popped some eyes open and I know there's been a lot of conversation about WB kind of either interfering or kind of steering, you know, films in a certain direction. So obviously there were research shoots on birds of prey and I love birds of prey. I literally just stopped rewatching it to come to year, but uh, you know, was there anything that was ever like above and beyond than what you expected? Is there like a Kathy cut lying around somewhere, you know, waiting to be released or anything? Um, it was definitely challenging, you know. I'm you. Mm-hmm. Dead Pigs was such a singular, um, pure, you know, version of myself, and I think that when you're dealing with a budget like that and the sort of pressures of a studio, especially a studio that is going undergoing a lot of change, I think just inevitably you end up having to do like compromise and fight for stuff, and you win some and you lose a lot, and that's just kind of how it is, and. I would have loved to have more control over the edit, you know, but that's mm-hmm. just kind of how it is. So I don't know if there's a Kathy Yan cut out there, but I think for any filmmaker, um, I think all of us are in it because we just want to be able to express ourselves as as wholly um, as possible and tell the story and, and try to match the vision that you ultimately see on screen with what was in our heads. And so anything that sort of, um, you know, gets in the way of that, I think. That's what I was sort of reacting to with David Ayer because I do know that there was 
a very different tone of movie um, that he had planned for Suicide Squad that never really made it. And so, you know, if he gets to make an, you know, show his cut or, or get to take another stab at it, I think that's an insanely wonderful opportunity. Just uh, the experience, you know, because this, this was your big, you Birds of Prey was your big studio experience after the pigs. Yeah. Uh, has that sort of challenge steered you away from the idea of doing more blockbusters or DC superhero movies or anything like that? Um, yes and no. I think I never did it in the first place so that I could say that I made a big movie or a blockbuster movie. I actually very much did it because I really thought the script was interesting and that I got to kind of you know, depict women, especially female superheroes in a way that we hadn't really seen before, which is like neither perfect nor um, weak, you know? And I think it's either or really. And so I really enjoyed that challenge of getting to sort of subvert the genre a little bit and do something that felt um, still very authentic to me as a, as a creative um, and what I wanted to say with, um, with the work that I do. So I don't, I don't, I'm, I would not discount ever doing it again. I think that like every story just has the, per, like, you know, a good format and medium to get it out there. Um, and people are always like, well, isn't it great to have such a big budget? It's like, well, you know, the budgets are always like 90% of what you want the budget to be, no matter yeah. what you're making, right? Like, it's like, well, then you just have more of this or you have more action sequences or you need more VFX. Like it always sort of matches, um, the story that you're trying to tell. So I, I try not to think about like whether I would do this type of movie or that type of movie again, or whether I would work with this studio or that, but more just like, is this, is the story itself really compelling? And, you know, and I'm also a writer director. So I think in, in that case, my big lesson is like, I want to continue to do that and have a little bit more, um, you know, control over the story that I'm telling. And kind of, you know, going off of what's next, I mean, you were announced to direct uh, Sour Heart for A24 back in 2019 and on paper definitely seemed to share some similar elements with Minari. Is that still in the works? And really overall, just what's next for you? Yeah, yeah a lot actually. And yeah, I mean, A24 definitely, you know, has been great about supporting filmmakers like that. And it's it's still in development, um, but also think it's a weird time to be making an indie film right now, um, just given everything and the pandemic. And so we're also very much, I, I, I started working with um, a producing partner that I've known since uh, very early days, my, my university days actually. And that's been exciting because it has really allowed me to, um, to broaden the scope of my work um, so that like we, we've got a television show in development with FX and Fox Searchlight. Um, we've got a bunch of other features as well. And I, I would say that the, the connective tissue in all of this is um, very much that we want to, we want to be, we want to examine like humans and react to the world at large right now. I think there's just so much happening. I think my journalism background lends itself to that. So um, I would say like almost everything that we've got going and are in, in development have a, a sort of subversive take on um, something that is inspired by what's happening around us and is very much focused on complicated, flawed characters. Um, and that, you know, goes a little bit back to, I think, the dead pigs indie roots that I have, which is just focused on characters. 
Great, great. Well, we're looking forward to anything you got going on. I mean, Dead yeah. Pigs and Birds of Prey is a hell of a one-two back-to-back double feature. So uh, we're really excited to, to see what you have. But uh, I just wanted to, to wrap up. And, and, and we do want to mention quickly, though, that you have a journalism background. And we're seeing, you mentioned the democratization of, of film. We're seeing that in the media as well. And you have seen that personally with Birds of Prey, just how anybody with a, a blog and a YouTube channel can say like whatever they want about a movie. <laughs> no offense to anybody who does that. Well, maybe. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, just real quickly before we let you go, I just wanted to, to ask your opinion as a journalist. What do you think of all that? What do you think of people just like running with rumors just because they can? Yeah, that's an unfortunate side effect, I think, to what is generally, you know, a great thing. Um, I think that like uh, there's a part of me that's like a very sort of traditional journalist that like, you know, learn that sort of ways of, of having like you know, double to triple check your sources and, and, and like you would never put something out. And we see it, you know, this is a much bigger problem than just industry news. This is the, right. like, what is facts? <laughs> what right, is true right. anymore? Yeah. And, and I think journalists should have some sort of responsibility about that in terms of like, are you adding to this, this dystopian, you know, sort of like anti-truth um, culture if you're just gonna continue to peddle um, rumors or lies? Um, and so, yeah, I think that it's just a bigger issue um, and something that just has to be sort of confronted and, um, and, and, and we have to figure out good solutions for it. And it's not just like censoring those people because I absolutely believe that overall, it's been a really great development to be able to get great podcasts and great takes and whatnot from people that may not have the opportunity to get hired by this or this publication. But at the same time, you know, just having fake news <laughs> is yeah. a problem. And that's just something that we're, we, you know, that we're, I think, reckoning with right now. Yeah, well, you heard it here first, folks. Uh, Kathy Ons directing the next Avengers. Uh, <laughs> we got confirmation. I checked it twice. Uh, no, we're kidding. Uh, thank you for joining us, Kathy. It's been great. Uh, everybody should go see Dead Pigs. We will uh, see it on streaming on movie, what is that, February 12th. So not too far away. So Thanks again for joining us. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to what you got next. Great. Thank you, guys. Thank right. you. Thanks, Kathy. Thank you. <laughs>